The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Wow, did you guys have fun? Isn't it fun spending time with God like that? Really grateful to the Lord. Really grateful to God in his presence. Grateful for this worship team. They're so musically talented and their spirits are so good and so right. I'm so grateful for you guys. Uh, very, very grateful. Love you so much. Um, man, I was, I've been sitting in worship today really content. And the Bible talks about uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And there's moments uh, where you're worshiping, where there's warfare happening and breakthrough and healing and amazing things. And I'm sure many of you are experiencing those today. And then there's moments where you're just, you're so grateful for what God's done. And you're so, so grateful. And that, that's where I was at today. And I, and I just want to share that because I'm really grateful for this house, for this church, for this family. He's really, he's blessed us and he's blessed us and he's blessed us and he's blessed us. And I want to... I want to count those things. I want to set my mind on those things. I want to focus on those things, as well as obviously not forsaking or denying the issues and the healing things that need to take place. But there's moments to just count the ways that God's blessed you. So yeah, I can keep counting. It's really amazing. I'm very grateful. Got a beautiful wife and beautiful kids, four of them. And I'm very grateful for my family, grateful for this church family. And we're going to keep on keeping on, and it's really, really great and amazing. I want to invite you next Sunday night, we have a town hall. It's really our, our church vision night. It's at 5.30 next Sunday night. I'd love for everybody to come uh, to hear some of the things that we are envisioning for this house and community. Uh, there are some pretty big ones, building a city on a hill, not a church on a hill, a house of peace and establishing that in the city. So there's some things that we really see God doing in this house and through this house, and I'm really excited about them. Would love for you to come and to hear those things, uh, to be a part of those things. There will be ability to ask questions uh, and to hear some of the things going on. So I want to invite you to that Mountain Town Hall next Sunday night. Put it in your calendar if you can. Also, we got Love My City. We've got a table out there. got an outreach happening uh, very soon here and continually happens. So join the outreach team. We've got our hosts and leads out there for homes. Home season's coming up. Very, very exciting season. I really love this house. It's really amazing. Uh, for the sermon series, what we've been on this month is build. Uh, and in this build series, what we're focusing on is we're focusing on not only the things that we want to do outside of our lives, whether it be building family, community, businesses, etc., but also we're starting with the person. Because whenever God builds something, he begins with the individual and he goes from there. So whatever you want to manifest, whatever you want to see, whatever you want to realize, whatever fruitfulness you want to express that's impacting others, will begin with a very thorough and intimate work with Jesus on an individual level. And this can be frightening. Uh, this can be exciting. Uh, this could be uh, up and down and have its roller coaster moments emotionally. Uh, but what God wants to do in the earth through you, he begins by doing in you first. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, we're going to be in 1 John 2, and it's going to be focusing on 3 through 5. Last week, I was in 1 through 2. And also, thanks for your giving. Uh, our team's going to be passing the buckets. You can give online as well. Uh, Tim, Tim gave me the old, hey, Sam, don't forget this thing. 
So thank you. If you give in person, there's envelopes in the seat backs. If you don't give in person, you give online. Thank you so much. Very grateful. Always so grateful for your generosity and your kindness. This house is incredible. It's amazing. Uh, and so we're going to be focusing on our build series. Uh, and also, um, I don't know if somebody could put up the slide for our number. We have a telephone number and you can text it. You can save it in your phone. Because we love to be inspired by what Jesus is sharing with us, but also we want to hear from you on the ways that we could partner with you. What are you looking to learn to build with Jesus this year? Is it your family? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your life, business, etc.? So text us if you have things that you want to learn uh, to build this year. Last week I did it and I got a bunch of great response. I organized it all into a Google Doc how exciting and fun administration. So uh, also, but anytime you want this week, look, look at that, there it is. Look how organized we are. So you can text that number there and we'll be gathering all these things and uh, they might show up in a sermon title. They might show up in a point, but nonetheless, they will help to shape uh, some of the approach because when you love people, you want to hear it on where they're at. You want to hear on how you can partner with them, how you can aid them. Uh, and how you can inspire and encourage and equip them. And so that's part of our love people expression, and it comes from a love for Jesus. So text us that if you want. It's not required by any means for attendance. Uh, and so, yeah, you could text those things if you have any insights to what you would like to see taught or instructed in the house. Okay, so our series on Built, 1 John 2, 3 through 5. Uh, we're going to start there, and it says, and by this we know that we have... Uh, come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So you're going to see three things here that I think are really important to reconcile mentally, emotionally, and spiritually today. You're going to see truth, you're going to see love, and you're going to see perfected or perfection, which is the state of achievement we get through those processes of truth and love. Uh, but interestingly enough, when you read this scripture and you're realizing that when God's building something in our life, which it is a fact, he is building in your life. It may not look like some kind of glorious a steeple in the sky that everybody's looking at right now in its current phase. But biblically speaking, it is a fact that God has a plan for your life, Jeremiah 29, 11. And it is a fact that he is ever working it. He is ever pursuing you in it. And even when you are uh, relentlessly non-cooperative in the journey, he stays on it. Revelation describes this image of Jesus as relentlessly attempting to get in to work with you as he stands at the door and knocks. So you see these images of Jesus that he is relentless in his pursuit of you to partner to build you. And that may look like building you in one season. You know, when we did this sanctuary right here, the first phase of building was actually demolition. So we needed to knock walls down, tear apart drywall, uh, pop circuits by cutting electrical when we weren't supposed to. Uh, and really exciting things, right? And uh, it, was, it was fun, it was exciting, it was cool, and everybody could do it. That was actually what was really fun about demolition. Uh, but this is God's journey in your life, or your journey with God, I should say, 
one phase of building might actually be demolition. And you might think like, God, I want to build something really cool and amazing. Uh, Why are things being torn down in my life? Why are things less stable, less pretty, less attractive to the outside looking in? Well, because sometimes when you want to build something beautiful, you need to redo the foundation. When we have faulty and broken foundations, it's important for us to allow God to break up those foundations and lay a new one. To the man who built his house on the sand, the storms were capable of destroying the infrastructure of what was built and toiled on, right? But to the man who dug deep and then laid his foundation on the rock, the rock being symbolic of Jesus, it was capable of enduring the storm and enduring the hardships of life, which is to say this, when Jesus builds in your life, it carries the characteristics of Jesus And the characteristics of Jesus are eternal. So if you build in your own way, on your own means, it may have short-term success like the man who built his house on sand. He actually built something. And it was a house, and perhaps it was a beautiful house. It was modern, maybe, like my favorite design, right? Maybe it was organic modern, you know, some kind of cool thing like that. But needless to say, if it's not properly built on the proper foundation, it will meet its eventual destruction because it wasn't built on eternal foundation. For example, if you built a business by having a foundation of greed, you may see three to five years of success, maybe even a little bit longer, but Greed doesn't have the ability to express the same way Jesus does, which is eternal expressions. It will see its demise. It will see its destruction eventually. So when you build your businesses, when you build your life on things that are eternal characteristics of Jesus, they may have a little bit of a slower start. A seed goes down first and sets its roots before it shows any growth above ground. And so there may be a shorter, like in the short term, there may be less obvious success in partnering with Jesus who is growing things inside of you. But eventually when that thing starts budding up out of the ground and coming up nice and big and, and tall, it will produce fruit and it will be effective and it will be able to endure and to express the qualities of Jesus, which are eternal. Isn't that exciting? Okay, so buy into long-term building journeys with Jesus rather than short-term, easily destroyed building processes that humans have created. Another example of this is lying. You can get to where you want to go faster by lying and deceiving others. But you're not going to have a very good long-term progress and success. If you invest even in the principles of love in your business, as opposed to greed, you may see less short-term success, but after 10, 20 years, you'll look around you and you'll see a harvest of positive relationships and partnerships. If you invest in the principles of greed, you'll look around you after five, 10 years and go, where are my friends? They left after you took everything from them. So 1 John 2, if we revisit to this place of verse 3, we'll see, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So what does it mean to know God? 
What does it mean to truly be in relationship with God and say something along the lines of, I know my God. I know him. Well, knowing him doesn't, in this scripture, doesn't just point to having a knowledge of the way and forsaking it. In this scripture right here, it says that if you actually know God, and knowing God in these ways is not just academic knowledge, but when you hear it talked about in scripture, knowing God, it's pointing to not academic understanding of him, textbook understanding of him, but it's actually pointing to a knowing of God that is more similar to intimate relationship or marriage. That when I know my wife, I don't only know her statistics of 5-1, I won't say her weight, blue eyes, brown hair. You know, I don't just know her statistics about where she grew up, Sinaloa Court, you know what I mean, or where she was born. I don't just know these academic stats about her, but I know the little nuances that come from being married to her. I know when her eye twitches like that, what that means, you know? I know when I haven't done something, right? And she doesn't even need to say anything. Maybe just a shortness of breath tells me like, oh no, what did I do? And I start to inventory my day and go, oh wow, there was 10 things, you know, that really were not the best. And I know her, right? I know her subtle little smells. I know her ears. I know how they smell, you know what I mean? I know her hair. I know what she typically, like, you see what I'm getting at here? It's not academic. It's relational. So when it's saying, do you know him, when it's talking about knowing God, it's not like, hey, do you know your scriptures? No, it's beyond that, right? This is describing a God. This is describing the Holy Spirit, but do you actually literally know that spirit it's talking about? Do you actually worship the actual God it's speaking about? Do you have relationship with the actual living Jesus or just do you have an academic understanding of who he is? See, the difference here is that when you actually know God, not just academically and in the verbiage, but you know him relationally, then you express his characteristics. This is why it says, hey, don't tell me you know me, but don't do what I command of you. Those two things don't go together. Because if you know me, you act like me. If you know me, you desire to be like me, to exude me, to express me, to sound like me, to move like me, to operate the way I operate. So this is why these things come together nicely. Truth and love and the perfecting of it, right? The perfecting of your, of your being, right? When, when you read scriptures, because this is actually, I know it's very on the nose, but if you want to begin to get to know God, then read about him and read his words. Now, reading the Bible is not the end of the story. There's those who read the Bible to debunk Christianity and to debunk its values, so reading these words is not the end of the story, right? You want to read them, but not only read them to know about them, but you want to read them to become what you are reading about. So when it says that you are full of truth and you express his being, right? You perform his commandments. This looks like you're not only reading about what those commandments are, but becoming those commandments, See, we describe them as the fruits of the Spirit oftentimes, right? And when you think about the fruits of the Spirit, they're those things which are produced when you are planted in God. They're not the things that you look at across the pond and go like, wow, 
I should be doing those things. I should be producing those fruits. But it's futile if you don't take yourself and lift your roots out of the ground of wherever you're planted and choose to plant them in the house of God. And I do mean the house of God, not this building, right? I know this is emblematic and exemplary of the house of God, but no, we're talking about the actual infrastructure that is God. When it says, did you walk with him? Did you abide in him? It didn't say, did you spend a lot of time in the sanctuary? It's saying, do you live in God? That's what it's talking about. And so when it's exuding this, when it's edifying this, when it's encouraging this, it's like, if you really knew him, it would be coming from the place of when you live in a home, you get to know the home. Like I've lived in my house, uh, 10235 Blue Water Peak Avenue, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89166. Gate code, pound 1492. (laughs) I've lived in this place for eight years. I know it's weird to give all that information, right? But I'm also, it's not streaming right now, first service stream. So, but even so, you know, whatever. (laughs) I'm also at the front door every single week. So if somebody wanted to get me, I'm right there. (laughs) So, you know, the, (laughs) I've lived in my house for eight years, right? Eight years. I know that house really well. I know that one spot upstairs where uh, there's a dent in the corner bead because Brixton, when he was like, three years old, ran, fell, and his head dented the corner bead. The best part is he got up, kept on playing like nothing happened. His head didn't split open. It didn't get hurt. It didn't get bruised. He bruised the wall. And in the corner bead, not like the drywall where there's no studs. No, the corner, it was ridiculous. And it was like, wow, this kid is something, dude. And that's where we actually started to teach about being a mountain mover, you know, is because like our kids, they're young mountain movers. They don't really know what should be moved and shouldn't be moved yet. They're uh, immature mountain movers. So sometimes they move things they think is a mountain to be moved, but it's not really supposed to be moved. But they find that out as they grow in their loving understanding of God's nature. Powerful people don't always have love. And so when they add love to their life, they're capable of moving the right mountains at the right time to the right places. That's totally a side sermon and subject. Point I'm expressing here is I live in my home, so I know where the stains are. I know where it smells like pee because the dogs excessively peed in that one spot. Because once one does it, the rest of them do it forever. So I know everything about my home, right? I'm very familiar with it. I could close my eyes, I could walk around the whole space and get where I need to go. I know my home. Do you know the home of God? Like, have you visited the room of love? Have you visited the room of healing? Have you visited the room of reconciliation? Have you visited the room of humility? Have you visited the room of prostrate before the Lord? (laughs) Have you visited the room of weeping for somebody else's brokenness? Have you visited the room of intercession? Have you visited the room of evangelism? Have you visited the room of prophecy? Have you visited the room of teaching and instruction? Have you visited the room of the apostolic that builds and assembles and grows? Have you visited the room of shepherding and nurturing someone from a place of brokenness to a place of wholeness? See, these things exist in God. These things are rooms in his house. These things are expressions of his being. So when it says, do you know him? 
It's not just saying, do you know the Christian version, uh, the, Christ, uh, the version of Christianity that you're most comfortable with? Do you know that? It's saying, do you know Jesus? Do you know the elements of who he is that are not convenient to your personality? Do you know the elements of who he is that are disruptive to your comfort zones and your mindsets? Do you know the things about God that are actually contrary to the way you are living your life right now? You may think like, well, I want God in my life. And absolutely, we would all say for the most part, like if I were to ask, survey, who wants God in their life? Everyone's like, yeah, totally, me. When it comes down to it, what God is doing and building is he's actually dismounting, disrupting, and uprooting the things that aren't of him. And this isn't just emblematic of like, hey, we're going to get Satan out of there. It's also emblematic of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life have no lordship in your life anymore. So all of a sudden you realize that some of these lust places, some of these pride places are actually anti-God expressions and alliances we've built. They don't have a yieldedness to the will of God. They do not favor him. They do not honor him. They do not cherish him. They do not yield to him. Foundationally, if you want God to build anything in your life, it's going to come post-submission. Like there's certain things that just come after you submit to God. Like my kids can't learn multiplication until they thoroughly understand addition. You, you, you want to have God build prosperously in your life, it's going to come on the heels of submission and yieldedness. The scripture for you there is submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Victory over the enemy, victory over the things of this world comes after submission to God. After. After. You're like, what do I do with my life? Submit. Yeah, 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 for sure. Totally. But after I submit, what's up? I was like, he'll show you. He will show you. He will create it in you. The most amazing part about submitting to God and making that your entire plan is that you're trusting him to deliver power to overcome the things of the enemy and the things of this world. Because if your whole plan is, okay, fine, I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to submit everything. Then you have no backup plan. Because if you create a backup plan while you are in your flesh, then you haven't given him your whole life. Because you have this contingency over there that if it doesn't work out with God, I got my thing I'll do over there. For each of us, we're going to have something, parts of us that are, are more difficult to submit than others. For some of you, your terrifying prospect of submission is submitting your finances. For some of you, submitting your kids to God and yielding your kids to God, that's going to be your frightening nightmare. I just can't do it. That's too hard. For some of you, submitting your places of bitterness to God, your anger, your hatred, these will be terrifying to you. For some of you, it's going to be your places of hardness that you cultivated and developed over a long period of multiple decades. And for you, the idea of submitting that hardness to God is a terrifying, exposing experience. I don't know what the most challenging surrender topic for you is going to be. I really don't. 
for some of you, the most challenging surrender topic may actually just be worshiping at church differently. Like if God asks you to like lift your hands and shout, if God asks you maybe to not do those things and just lay prostrate before him, See, I don't know what your challenge of surrender will be. I don't know what in you exudes so powerfully that it seems to be your absolute, absolute Lord and the most critical thing of your life. I don't know what it is, but I can guarantee you this. Everything must go. Everything must go into the altar and at the altar of yieldedness to God because when it talks about in this place, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We've come to know him. Oh, that I might know him. Oh, that I might know him. Does this desire exist inside of you? In verse four, it says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Oh man, I tell you, I've told you this before, guys. I like it when the scripture tells me I'm a liar. I do. I like it when it confronts me. And it's like, hey, if this, then that's lying, brother. And I'm like, ah. Like the wounds of a friend, right? When God tells me I'm lying to him, it's very helpful. Because I might be lying to God because I've been lying to myself for decades and forgot I was lying to myself. So I want God to be like, hey, stop sign. You are lying to me. Come awaken to this thing of deception you're living in. Come awaken to this thing of denial that you've had as a cozy blanket for decades. And I want God to be like, no, let's leave this place of deception because the truth, the truth needs to be in me. What truth are we talking about and how does it get in us? This is something to really reflect on and meditate on because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So we see that this truth thing is really valuable. And it actually goes beyond just a series of facts as we might perceive truth. And truth, if we're really interpreting it correctly, is actually Jesus. So if the truth isn't in me, thus I'm expressing wickedness or ungodliness, then I need to reconcile with Jesus, not just a series of facts. Because you can know about him and not have become like him. I have some pragmatic examples of what this looks like. I have a sports one and a music one because some people love sports and some people love music. Sports. You guys ready? You excited about this? Sports. <laughs> you can know about what the right move is, but if you haven't thought on it, practiced it, and ingrained the truth of that move into your actual expression of basketball, like if you haven't practiced the crossover over and over again and practiced with your left to be able to receive with your right and the footwork to set them up, if you haven't done this, understood this, and then practiced this and allowed it to get ingrained into your expression such that you could do it without conscious thought, this is what it means to ingrain the truth of Jesus into your life. It's not just to quote the scripture. It's to meditate on that scripture and to think on that scripture and to exercise it or at least attempt to implement it into your life until the point that it actually becomes a part of who you are and you've read the thing and you've meditated on the thing and you've thought on the thing and you've exercised the thing until it became you. 
This is when the word becomes actually relevant and interesting, when it's a project of transformation. If you're reading the word academically, you're going to get real bored real quick. It is. It's going to be like reading that romance novel you love like five, six, seven times over and over again every single day. Like who reads the same fantasy fiction book every single day? But when you're reading the thing that you're trying to become that is so lofty, it is God's expression, that all of a sudden every day meditating on his words day and night is not excessive at all. It's necessary to even begin to act like him in ways that aren't natural to you. So you read the word because you're desperate to become like him. And why are you desperate to become like him? Not because you're scared of hell or pain and punishment. I told you there was three phrases that were going to be important today. Not only truth, but love. Love. You do it because you love him. You do it because you're excited about being like him. Because being like him yields the fruitfulness that, that makes you have more in common. See, when marriages really start to struggle is when through hardships and trials and hardest apart, they have less and less in common every single month, every single anniversary, every single year. See, when Jessica brings me at, well, I, we go on a date together. Like every Valentine's Day anniversary, we have a big fancy one we do usually, right? And uh, what she does, and she, she brings me down memory lane. And this is a gift Jess has. She remembers everything. I'm a bit of a visionary, so like my natural perspective is like forward, future, <laughs> promised land. <laughs> These things are exciting and they rarely make me cry. Jessica has this gift where she'll go down memory lane. She'll go, remember our first date? And I'm like, oh man, here's that part <laughs> of the date, man. And then my hair starts looking crazier, you know? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know why. Because she'll start bringing me down memory lane, and she'll be like, hey, remember our first date? Hey, remember when Brightly did that one thing and that one thing? And re remember our, uh, uh, before Monroe was born, and we had our baby moon, and we went to Laguna. You remember that? Remember that? Remember when we were sitting on the beach, and we were looking at the sunset, we were dreaming about the things our kids would be? And my, meanwhile, I'm just a fountain. I'm a fountain, and she's telling me all about it, and the waiters always, always don't know what to do, right? Because she does this for like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, and they're like, do I go ask for a refill? That man is sobbing. That man is sobbing, you know? And the first time she did it, I was like, why did you do that to me? That was pretty mean, man. I was like, that was literally mean. Uh, but then the next time, I was like, okay, no, there's a ton of value in it because... It, 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 it does something beautiful for me. You know, it does something beautiful for, because you begin to remember and you begin to have, you begin to remember the history you have. And there's these powerful emotions you have on it. Like, have you, have you built a history with God in intimacy to where you could look back and go, yeah, God, I remember Egypt. Hey, God, I remember slavery. I remember bondage. I remember brokenness. My life's not perfect right now, but I am so grateful. I may be in the desert and resources may be scarce, but at least I'm not under the whip of the enemy any longer. <laughs> and fastest on the period. <laughs> and all of a sudden you build this, this thing and it's, you go, man, when, when you have history with someone, that you love, 
powerful. It's powerful. And you look back on the moments where you missed it, and you don't go, oh, shame, condemnation, but you go, whoa. It's an opportunity to repair connection for a greater affection and intimacy to be realized. That's why it talks about love hasn't been perfected. It, it, it does a work on us because love isn't just this cho- box of chocolates and roses, right? Love is God. The Bible says God is love. It's a very simple notion and phrase and idea. But everything short of God's expression isn't the true picture of love. So you see this thing and love hasn't been perfected in us. Okay, here it is. I got it. What is God building inside of me? He's building himself inside of me. And what a phenomenal blessing. What a phenomenal blessing for God to be crafting his nature in me and in you, alternative to our nature. Wow, what an act of love. What an act of patience. What a regard for me that when I step away, when I miss covenant expressions, he's like, I'm still here. You haven't shook me. Yesterday I was watching the Niners game and Christian McCaffrey juked this guy. It was just, whoa, you know? And and sometimes I think we really try and juke God. Like we're like, I'm going to get my things I want and I'm going to shake him. He's not going to be able to find me. He's going to be gone. In basketball, the best defenders were the ones that I would do a ton of stuff and they were just still right there. They were annoying. They were frustrating. I was like, hey man, get out of here. Get out of here. I told you I was going to do a music example of it. I, uh, I played ukulele, and I still kind of played about five chords. I'm a master. Five chords. But in the exact strum sequence that I need to do in the exact timing, right? So I, I basically know one thing. Not very talented in music, but so here's, it took me two months to actually do a successful strum pattern for a whole song. Every night practicing. At two months. And so, but what I would do is I would watch the video and the concept, and the, okay, I get it, I got it. And then I would rehearse it. I'd, I'd mess up. And I'd go back to the drawing board. And then musicians would tell me the stupidest piece of advice ever. Natural musicians, they'd be like, you just feel the music. <laughs> so if you aren't musical, that's the dumbest advice ever. <laughs> I just want you to know, and it's true to the musician, because in sports, you feel it. You look at the, what the guy did, and you've never done it before, you just look at him and then you just do it. When you're a naturally gifted athlete, that's what happens. When you're a naturally gifted musician, you're just like, hey, man, you just feel it. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> not how it works for people like me. You know what I mean? I'm just like over here just fumbling around. And I know this because Jessica came over and sat down. She's like, what song are you doing? What's the strum pattern? Let me see that. And immediately, guys, immediately she did it perfectly. <laughs> perfectly. It's disgusting. Absolutely deplorable. I don't have the time. Can somebody shout out the time to me? 12.35. Oh, wow. <laughs> Got another 25 minutes. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. The last point I want to make here, and then we're going to finish. 
the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. It's perfected. So if you're struggling to realize what you've wanted to build personally, I would encourage you to do this. Reconcile with the Lord more deeply and more intimately and more thoroughly. Let God go to the hidden places where you've reserved an expression that isn't from him. See, remember what it says in the Bible, I've hidden your words in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So important note here, if you've hidden other things, Aiken's a story in the Bible of a character who hid things he wasn't supposed to keep. So it's symbolic of this hidden sin dynamic. Here's the issue when you hide sin, is it takes the place of intimacy that God is supposed to reside in. So when you've hidden sin, uncover the sin. It begins the healing process, but don't only uncover the sin, also allow God to remove it and to reside in it. So if you have a hidden sin of a particular type, I want to encourage you to do this, to allow God to uncover it, to confess it to the appropriate person, to uncover this dynamic, and then store his words, reflect on his words, meditate on his words in the exact genre that you've hidden sin formerly in the exact genre. So if it's a lust capacity that you've really struggled with, then I wanna encourage you to store his words of love and regarding love and purity in the same place that lust used to hide. And if it be pride, do it with humility. If it be impurity, do it with purity. If it be wickedness of any kind, do it in the kind of righteousness that Jesus has spoken, has ordained, and has done and exemplified, and his spirit represents. The building project with Jesus, our role is simply to yield and submit all territory to God every day. You guys down? Let's stand and finish. How fun, right? Isn't that... I just, I just love, I just love Jesus, man. You are coach. That's good. I, I want to pray on a couple things with you. If you can close your eyes. There's the understanding that God needs to reside in those hidden places. And then there's the do it. <laughs> you know, Shia LaBeouf, he, he's done a lot of things, but he did this one funny video where he's just do it. And he's just yelling at us the whole time to just do it. And sometimes in prayer, that's exactly what the dynamic is. You come into an understanding, you, you, you see, oh, that's Jesus. And then prayer is this great bridge from understanding God to beginning to engage in the, uh, the power deliverance into those spaces. So when you ask him to deliver you and you're praying to him, he begins to deliver you. When you ask him to heal you, prayer, he begins to heal you. 
this place of prayer, it can be seen as perfunctory or even just ceremonious. And we pray at the beginning of meals and things like that. And sometimes we just pray because it's what you're supposed to do. But when you're praying in these places, when we've identified the places of transformation needed, the places of uh, consecration or being made holy are, are, are seen and realized. Here's where your prayers become vital, vital to your building journey with God. So maybe he's building freedom in you. Maybe he's building purity in you. you know, I don't know what he's building, but I want to encourage you to in this moment to pray, to receive those things, to ask God to do those things. And for those of you that have hidden sin, I want to encourage you today to let God pull back the blanket, to remove this place. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.